1: You are about to listen to an original episode of Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of upcoming shows, go to BarryKatz.com. After you finish the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to it, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it sucks. Enjoy the show.
0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Today is a great day. We're interviewing the president and CEO of Wondery, Hernan Lopez. And before I get started, I just want to thank you guys so much for all your support. I say it as much as possible, and I will continue saying it no matter how many times you roll your eyes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your support. You guys are amazing. Your tweets, your emails, your FedExes, all the people you tell to subscribe to this podcast, you are the reason why we're successful. You are the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And to top it all off, yes, you are the reason why I am in the room with Hernán López. You are the reason why he asked to meet with me. And you are the reason why he is my partner on this show with his company, Wondery, because of all your support. And I am so, so humbled and so grateful and I will always be thankful to all of you. I appreciate it. And if you need to reach me at any time, like you have been, just simply do so at, at BarryCats on Twitter or Instagram or on my website at barrycats.com. And without further ado, I look across from my guest, Hernan Lopez. And as I always do on this show, I'd like to do a little cold opening that sort of is relevant to what we're about to talk about and what we're doing here sitting across from this man. And when I look at Hernán López, the biggest thing I think about with a smile on my face is whoever that person was who coined the phrase nice guys finish last clearly wasn't talking about Hernán López because this guy is truly the nicest man, so inspirational, so kind, so generous, so smart, just makes everyone in his path feel safe, makes a difference to everyone he meets. When he shakes your hand, you feel it, and you feel like you're around somebody who's a brilliant person. This is a guy who was born in Argentina and started working at Fox and worked there for almost two decades. When he started, the company wasn't even on the radar in the areas that he was in. And when he finished at the Fox International Channels during his 18-year career there, they were a company that was generating over $3 billion in revenue. And the amazing thing is, at his highest point, he decided to leave that company and take the risk and start wondering in an area of the business that was relatively new to him. And in the short two-year period, this guy is taking the podcast world by storm. And if you don't know anything about Wondery yet, after this podcast, you will, and you will check out their shows, and you will never go back to ordinary podcasts. And I am honored to be a part of this lineup of shows. I think the biggest takeaway I get today for all of you is this. Whatever business you're in, I can guarantee you this, if you work really, really hard, no matter what country you're born in, and you treat people right, you make them feel safe, you're a nice person, you fight hard to grow as a person, you take risks even when people might tell you, hey, you know what? It might be better to stay at the company you've been at for two decades. But instead, you listen, you take the parts that mean something to you that people advise you on, and you hold them near and dear to yourself, and you take the leap of faith. And if you believe in yourself, as much as the man sitting in front of me, I can guarantee you, if you follow all those rules, you'll have a shot at the kind of career that Hernán López has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and see me. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses, Creating holy shit moments. I'm undeniable. you fucking firing me up, Katz. I
1: love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What
0: now? Harry Katz back in the house! 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 Let's do this! Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm so happy to have my guest, Hernan Lopez, the CEO of Wondery. We're gonna have a great time. He is incredibly inspirational. So without further ado, here goes. Hernán López is best known now as the CEO of the fastest-rising podcast company in the world, Wondery. López is a native of Argentina and earned a master's degree in business administration from the University of Miami. After concentrating his studies on publicity back in Buenos Aires, Lopez held positions at different companies in Argentina, including Canal 9 and Cablevision Radio America, before his incredible 18-year run at Fox, where he rose through its international TV ranks, becoming the CEO of Fox International Channels. During his nearly two-decade tenure, including five as CEO, Three is COO, Fox International Channels grew to an unprecedented $3 billion in revenue, launched hundreds of channels, and expanded into premium sports and original production in multiple languages. Fox International Channels pioneered the global day and date launch of TV shows with The Walking Dead, Today, Fox, National Geographic, and Fox Sports are consistently among the most valued TV brands internationally by consumers, advertisers, and affiliates, and Lopez was there from the beginning. He left Fox to create Wondery in 2016, designing it to become a network that offered an umbrella brand, technological and administrative support, and a desirable demographic profile for its podcast partners. And in a very short time, they are succeeding on all fronts in a massive way. Lopez has also been published in many trade magazines, such as AdAge and Broadcasting and Cable. And he has been a popular and featured speaker across the world at multiple events, including the Cable Show, NAPI, ProMax, the Asia-Pacific Operator Summit, the Festival of Media, and too many investor conferences to count. Most recently, he raised $5 million from a list of some of the most impressive companies in the world, including Graycroft, BAM Ventures, Lerer Hippaw, Advanced Capital, Fox Network Group, Water Tower Ventures, and BDMI. They have all bet on Hernan Lopez's vision of extraordinary immersive storytelling which has led Wondery to countless shows that have launched as the number one rated podcasts in the world, including Dirty John, Business Wars, American History Tellers, and Young Charlie. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest, one of the nicest and most successful people you will ever meet in your lifetime, and I'm honored to have him here. Please welcome Hernan Lopez. Thank you for having me. I'm so looking forward to this interview. We're going to have fun. I look across from you and I think so many different things. But the first thing I think our audience will really appreciate, you're a guy who's had a wonderful, wonderful career in one area for almost two decades. And then with salt and pepper in your hair, (laughs) you take your banker's box with the plant in it, and you walk out of that place that was so familiar to you and so comfortable for you, and you're at zero-zero, there's nothing, and you start wondering, could you let our audience know how mentally and psychologically you can just walk away from something and start something new that has really yes, the same principles, but a completely different blueprint and business model. And nowhere
1: near the scale, too, because you have no idea, Mary, how many times I got versions of the question, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? How would you jump from this great job into this tiny little space? The people that actually like Podcasting, get it. When I talked to Liz Dol and my former CMO, and she's been herself a radio and podcaster, and um, and 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 she's now with Wandry, she got it immediately. But every other person who was not a podcast listener gave me this version of the, what are what you smoking? And to walk back a little bit uh, to how I got there. Um, When I was at Fox for 18 years, I had this privilege of working with some of the smartest people in the world, uh, building television channels in countries all over the world. We rose from $35 million in revenue when I became the head of the Latin American business to $3 billion in revenue by the time I left. And yet, for about half of that time, I was daydreaming of being an entrepreneur. There's a word for it—the entrepreneur. I didn't know this word at, at at the time. Super curious about startups and people who are building their own company and they work for themselves and they're essentially building something from from scratch. And I kept postponing that 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 jump uh, in my career because the work at Fox kept getting more and more fun. The organization was getting bigger. We were launching sports channels and entertainment channels and lifestyle channels. We were going to different places. And there was a point at which I knew there was the right window uh, for me to uh, make this jump. And that was 2016.
0: Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. For me, this podcast, uh, granted, I do it in my spare time and I normally do it at lunchtimes and then edit on Sundays. But still, I wanted to do it so badly, but then people saying, Barry, you know where the bodies are buried. Don't do it. It's going to hurt. Managers saying, don't do it, Barry. Clients are going to be upset. What happens if your show gets more listeners than their show? It's not good, Barry. What happens if you have certain clients of yours on and and then you don't have others on? They're going to be bummed out at you. Lawyers saying, no, Barry, that's not good. You're going to get sued. Not one person. Mm-hmm. Not one person said it's a good idea. Right. But in my heart, I knew when I sat across from people like you in meetings that there were these amazing inspirational stories and the blueprints to how to get to the next point. And so I made the jump, believe it or not, because one of my clients, Jay Moore at the time, he asked me to do his first episode of his podcast. And I told him I didn't want to do it because I wasn't in this business. He should have somebody else. And he just said, be in my garage at seven. And his show launched. And I don't know how or why or what he had going on, but it was like the number one podcast that day Mm -hmm. in comedy. And it was like 500,000 people listened to it, and then it kept going and going. And then he had me on the third show, the 10th show, the 18th show. And before I knew it, people were calling him left and right and texting him and tweeting him about it. And he said, Barry, forget what these people have to say. Just do it. You can't believe what the response that we're getting. But for you, people were telling you, what are you smoking after you made the jump? right? But who are you talking to before you make the move and what makes it the right time? Um, obviously people remember the
1: vast, uh, difference between what cable television was in 1997 when I joined and what it is today and how it got progressively more of a mass medium, how back in 97, you didn't really have very popular shows on cable. They were mostly reruns and we're talking about the U S international, even more so. We, it was really a nascent medium and I was privileged to see it go all the way from the B medium to the A level medium that eventually became creatively and financially became the financial foundation for many of the media companies. And um, it, there's always this great feeling that you get when you're uh, in, in an industry or in a sector and you have tailwinds. You, um, you know, the cable subscribers are going up, the ad revenue is going up for the industry as a whole. And You are participating in that, and if you make the good moves, you're expanding your share of that pie that is growing. So, there's a point in, I believe, 2008, I want to say, that Peter Cherning, who was then president of um, Fox um, and um, had been taking an interest in our business, our business, Fox International Channels, was already a billion-dollar-plus business, and he had seen it grow from a rounding error, really, to a substantial part of uh, the earnings at at Fox Entertainment Group and at News Corp, which was, back then, part of the same company. And we took him on a trip to Latin America. Um, I'll never forget that trip. And we we went to Argentina first, then Brazil, then Mexico. And in Mexico, we organized this great lunch for all of our employees, about 60 people came, and he gave this beautiful speech that we took as a valedictorian speech. He said, I'll never forget this, um, one day you will look back at this part of your careers and you will remember how much fun you had when you were building something, when you were starting things, when you were growing, when uh, you were launching new channels, launching new shows, when you were um, you were essentially growing. Um, if, when you get to my uh, job, the, the stage where I are, he said, I run a movie studio, one movie will do great, the other movie will do not so great. I run a broadcast network, one show is amazing, the next show doesn't make the numbers. So we're very much in the a stage of taking share from one another. And I miss what you guys have. So enjoy it, every min- minute of it, and, uh, and always remember that what you guys have is, is very special. And my then boss and I, David Hasson, looked at each other and said, this guy's quitting. Yeah, he's quitting. <laughs> <laughs> and then sure, sure enough, a few months later, he left uh, Fox to, to start the churning group. I always remember that speech, um, because by the time I left Fox, I wanted that feeling again. I wanted to get in a space where everything was to be built, that everything was starting, where the industry was young, yet the potential was there. And I see so many parallels between where podcasting is today and where cable television was in 97 when I joined, um, and uh, and that the field is wide open. So that that gives you part, part of the answer.
0: I remember One time, I was in New York, and I met with James Dixon, who Mm. right now represents probably some of the greatest hosts in television, from Steve Colbert to Jimmy Kimmel, Carson Daly, I believe. But at the time at William Morris, he was doing really well. He had packaged three shows, Everybody Loves Raymond. The Daily Show and King of Queens. And I remember I went up to his office and he said, Barry, close the door for a second. And I closed the door and he looked at me and he said, Barry, I work at this company, they put me in a nice office, they increase my salary, they given me raises, but these people can never pay me the amount of money that I'm worth when I count the money that they've made on these packages for these television shows and how we've grown as a company, no matter what they gave me, it would never equal a percentage of that that's worthy of what I've done for this company. When you were about to leave as it went from $3 million to $3 billion, were you thinking to yourself, there's no way these people could ever compensate me for what I brought to this company. I'm going to do my own thing, not just for inspirational reasons, but also for financial reasons. I didn't
1: actually. I felt very well paid and very fortunate that uh, and the people at Fox um, you know, compensated me very well. They keep, um, obviously, every contract renewal, they were really fair, really generous, and, and that wasn't a, a consideration at all. In, in fact, when, I left Wondery. I gave that up and um, came into an industry where I knew that the um, revenue uh, in the whole industry would be a fraction of what my division was was making. Um, so money wasn't 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 a problem. Um, I, but I'll, I'll tell you what though. I knew that my gig was up at Fox. I knew that, obviously, I think this is probably the the moment that I left, they reorganized the division and they um, consolidated into the three regional um, heads, the Latin American head, the European head, and the um, the Asian head, and all the top-level people at FIC. Between that moment and one year, they were gone. Then there were the buyouts, which are public. Fox was in, in the mood to... Um to essentially tighten up and 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 my contract was one way one year out i I, I could have started then looking for uh, a job at Facebook or at Amazon or at uh, Netflix or at any um any yeah, many companies uh, that i uh, really admire. and the, the feedback that I got from almost from you know people I talked to in the uh, in the search in the security research industry is that you are a president and CEO of a three-billion division within a large organization. None of the companies that you are talking about have a CEO other than Tim Cook or Jeff Bezos. So you maybe you can make that jump, but you have to start again as a VP of a division doing maybe marketing or maybe doing can you make that jump? And I felt if that was the option versus... The option of starting something of my own, something that I own, something that was young enough and um, and, and exciting enough for me as a consumer too, because I became a pretty um, uh, avid consumer of podcasts, um, and I knew that I didn't know I, I didn't need an enormous amount of money to survive. I had been, you know, lucky that that I had, you know, being being relatively frugal throughout my, my years at Fox. Um, so I said, why not make the jump? Why not take this opportunity? I'm 40 at the time, 46 years old, or 45 actually, to uh,
0: start something that could be something me one day. About 10 years ago, I go see Dave Chappelle in mm-hmm. concert and just walks on stage and just takes a puff out of a cigarette and he says, anybody in this crowd think they have problems in their personal relationships. Let me tell you something, everybody. When you walk home in the living room and sit down with your wife and you tell her you're turning down $50 million, (laughs) not good. (laughs) So, how did your personal relationship change and did the people in your life support you or were they like, listen, we're used to a certain standard of life here. At the Lopez household, right. no, I'm I'm lucky that my husband Travis Kidner
1: is a successful surgeon, so that was never a uh, consideration for for us. And yeah, the kids, obviously, you know, the the kids I have uh, two, they're seven and six now, and they were going to the Fox daycare because uh, they were by by then they were in daycare, so they were used to going into the lot and seeing uh, the um, um, yeah, Wizard of Oz pictures and the uh, Simpsons picture, and my son one day uh, came to the studio and, and I asked him, do you know the difference between what I did before and uh, and what I do now? He said, yeah, before you made movies and now you make stories. And I thought that was so fascinating that he had internalized that movies, what, what Fox
0: did, and stories is what we do at Wonder. So I look at the name of the company. I look at the logo, and Mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated by these things because everybody in their travels goes into a company, and they look on the wall, and they look at the logo, and sometimes they say, hmm, wow, I wouldn't have thought of that. That is amazing. And then some people say, what were they thinking? <laughs> I hope we not the ladder. <laughs> but when I come in here, the first time I came in here, met with you. And I met with every podcast company. And I decided to be here because of you and your team, because of the energy that you have and how wonderful it is. And there's something that you bring to the table from the top that goes all the way down. You've been in many meetings in your life. And I always say, there's the people you walk in the room, and it's just like, ah, everything's going to be okay. And then there's the people you walk in the room, and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Mm -hmm. But you're sitting in a room with people who are massively successful, and you can't understand how they make people feel safe when— They don't give you that feeling. Mm -hmm. You gave me that feeling, and I walked in the office, and I looked at the logo. I sat down with you, and the first thing I said to you was, Wondry, the owl, what was your second choice? That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, and do you have an issue with the L, not the no? We wondery, right? Wondery basically says to me when I saw the name. Yeah, it's a innovative and unique alternative way in my mind to say imagine. Right. Yes.
1: So wondery means the factory of wonder. And you've been in media for long enough to know that it's so difficult to get a Class 38 trademark on anywhere because in media, anybody can come up with a media company. So, you go, any idea that you have, it's been trademarked already, anything, because you have production companies, media companies, agencies, all going for Class 38. And I worked with a consultant who gave me a great... Uh, framework about how to come up with a name, and then after that, I had to go and check 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 whether they were available i was Wondery was one of my first choices i don 't even remember what the other choices were and, and I know that the owl is unconventional what the owl means um, the owl is a curious um, um, you know animal always listening, always paying attention, and uh, what we do at Wondery is immersive storytelling storytelling that gets you in the middle of the story. And by um, symbol, the, the the symbol of the owl uh, is meant to tell people that the stories that um, the, the, the owl is also widely thought to be a wise um, animal. Yes. So the combination of curiosity, wisdom, and also staying up at night and being immersed in this uh, in in this story, I, all of them, uh, you know, made us land on the owl over. Every other option that we had.
0: Can't picture a dolphin with headphones. There here. were no other
1: animals. So <laughs> so it was either this or no logo at all, or no, no mascot at all. And um, But yes, um, I like the owl. Until the criticism I got from my friend August, who worked at Focke, he said, I mean, if you're building something uh, that wants to be as wide as Netflix, the owl doesn't give you uh much as of an entertainment and fun uh, look. It gives you a little bit of a nerd um, positioning. Um, and at the time, I said, I can live with that. Uh, we were building, obviously, the, the company were built, trying to stand out for something.
0: The reason why I mentioned the owl in the right. meeting yeah. was because you're in business. Right. You are a businessman. If you look in the dictionary under businessman, your picture would be in it. But as you know, there's two philosophies of thought. Right. And one is when you start a company, it's almost like a talk show guest. Right. When Fallon has Madonna on, it should be a huge thing, but there's probably people who don't like Madonna. Right. And it's the same with animals are normally polarizing. Just ask the WB about the frog. Right. And then there's other companies mm-hmm. that you just mentioned, like Netflix, that don't have an animal as right. a logo. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there's other ones that are very successful that do. So I always feel like when you bring an animal into the logo, you take a risk wow. yeah,
1: and we don't use it. If you notice in the um, show key art, it's just the one reward mark we yes. don't use. we we don't use the owl that much. Actually, if you go to our website, you're only going to see her in the uh, in the corner and um, we're using it on our business cards. but we we're methodical about where we use her and where we don't. but
0: what you said was really profound. You talk about risk and, that's what you're all about. You even said something that was just interesting that I didn't even think about. You referred to the owl as her. Right. And I didn't even think that there was a gender to the owl. Right, right. Yes. We always thought of the owl as a she. Yes. All right. I want to go way, 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 mm-hmm. way back. Right. Take me back to where you grew up, what your family mm-hmm. was like, yeah. what the financial dynamic was mm-hmm. in the household, and what your first inspiration was to get into the entertainment business?
1: I grew up in Argentina in a great, um, traditional middle-class family. Uh, mom was accountant, dad was, um, is I mean, they're both um, in their 70s, but they're still working Tuesday. Uh, hey, mom and dad. They are um, an accountant and a business owner. He, he owned an auto parts uh, business for his entire life. Um, and brother and sister, uh, all live there in Argentina my nephews and, and nieces and had a pretty traditional uh childhood worried not for the fact that I happened to be gay and as you would expect um forty or so years ago in the cl- in Argentina growing up in a military dictatorship, although luckily that yeah that stopped in uh, in when I was thirteen um closeted and then with all the all, all all the dynamics that a teenage a gay, closeted uh, guy
0: goes through. When I was growing up in my town, I might have met a gay man or woman, but but I didn't know until I got to college and my roommate was gay. And now my kids, they come home. They're 12 and 13. And they tell me that there's two transgender kids, three gay boys, there's two gay girls, and there's... To bisexual mm-hmm. kids in their class that they hang out with, it's totally a part of their life. Right. But for you growing up, knowing
1: that I was alone and knowing that not knowing what it was because I, I I discovered um, at thirteen didn't really come out of the class until eighteen, and but but it, it did. It was instructive. In, I I was always a little bit of an outsider. I was in some respects a leader whenever I found a cause that. I really care about. For instance, I was the editor of the school newspaper. Uh, that was my first experience with media. And uh, I drew cartoons uh, where the professors were characters. And the professors liked them unless they were the target. And. Um, I created so much animosity that, between them that there was a point at which I slipped in something. I made a, a a silly mistake, um, even though I had you know straight A's and great student, never any um any, any disciplinary actions. But this one time uh at a, at a school act, um they asked me because I was you know the the best um student in the class, they asked me to read a speech honoring Um, General Martin, and uh, I read it. I don't know if our audience knows who General Martin... It's some faith. It's it's like George Washington in Argentina, right? General San Martín. It's just like a very important, widely revered figure, right? So imagine that you're asked to read a speech about George Washington, and you read it with a hand in your pocket at a speed that is more appropriate. For a uh, soccer radio narration uh, in <laughs> South America than it is for a speech honoring one of the most uh, prominent figures in your country. Uh, that day I was wearing sneakers, which today, but at the time that was a major violation of the code of um, what you need to wear. Um, I got kicked out. I got kicked out of high school at, eight, at age 17. Without a warning? Without a warning. I mean, they they technically didn't kick me out. They asked me to resign because if I had really been kicked out, then I wouldn't have been able to get into any other high school for a year. So, um, you know, the school I was going to was six years, was owned by Henry Ford, the the Ford Motor Company. I mean, uh, so I went, that, that was the point at which I decided that instead of being an engineer like my brother was or an accountant like my mom was, Um, I was going to get into advertising. I was going to pursue a creative career and do what I really wanted. And uh, my parents thought that I was as crazy as the people (laughs) that found out that was leaving Fox to start a podcasting company. But they felt bad for their kid. I mean, he just got kicked out of school, so we gotta be supportive. Then I drop on them that, oh, by the way, I'm also gay, which, you know, Argentina 19, Eighty-eight, eighty-nine is is not the same as U.S. two thousand eighteen.
0: Were you anxious when you told them, or were you completely confident and not worried about anything? Well, I, I, they found out. I
1: didn't tell them. Uh, they found out, and then I had to explain my way up. And that's, but that you know, those were tough years. But the the ups, uh, the upside of that is that um, I decided to go to school to study advertising in at night, college. So after finishing high school. How did you finish high school? You... I had to give um, exams, so essentially you, you could, instead of going, in lieu of going to high school, so you could you, you could pass through exam, taking the tests only. Uh, and that's how I finished my, I had to f- complete my fifth year. I had to take some other tests to transfer the credits. Um, and then I went straight into advertising school at night. Um, which, again, wasn't really a career at the time. Advertising, who does advertising? What is advertising? And uh, during the day, I met a friend who introduced me to a friend who worked at a radio and cable company called Cablevision. Uh, this is, again, 1989. Uh, this entrepreneur in Argentina, Eduardo Ernequian, had bought a small cable operator, about 40,000 subscribers. And he then, when I bought three radio stations, and he combined the AdStyles teams, and they wanted somebody to write copy for the direct clients, the clients didn't have an agency. And I came in, that was my first job. I had a lot of fun doing it. Two years later, I moved to another uh, job in media at at a broadcast and radio company. Um, And then four years later, I ended up a small cable company that led into my job at Fox.
0: Did a headhunter find you at that small company and bring you to an interview with Fox? It
1: wasn't a headhunter. It was somebody, Raul de Quesada, who worked at Fox for many years. He introduced me to three people, Rich Batista, Andrew Thaw, CEO of UTA today. But at the time, he was the head of Fox Sports um, International, I believe, or Fox Sports Latin America. And the third one is Ashley Marable. He still works at Fox. They were in Argentina. They interviewed me. People have... Told him that this is kid, because I was a kid at the time, uh, who's selling ads for this small cable channel. He's great. The cable channel is difficult to sell. Um, you should interview him. they they made an offer to uh, go and do ad sales for them in Argentina. And seven months later, they offered um, a job in the U. S. Uh, in Miami. That's that's when I moved.
0: You know, what's fascinating sitting across from you is that. Look, anybody who is an entrepreneur is a salesperson. You get knocked down all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. You stand up. You figure out where else you can get the things going. It's almost like from the lowest level, I always think about this when I go into a Starbucks because you see so many homeless people, but you also see the wealthiest people in the world. And from its lowest level, somebody who is struggling, who is homeless, Mm -hmm. they're a salesperson too, except their sales pitch is they have to figure out how to get somebody to give them money so they can eat. Right. And they're constantly having people say no or I can't do anything. Right. And they're doing it to survive, you're doing it at the highest levels.
1: I, I but but it actually that anecdote, um that, that, that story is relevant. It reminds me of I think a turning point in my career when I was at the cable channel before Fox. So it was called Gems Television. Uh, I went to this meeting at Procter & Gamble, and it was set up as a meeting where I thought I was going to come in and pick up an insertion order.
0: But, Would you mind explaining to our audience what an insertion order is? Oh,
1: it's, it's an advertising. It's like a, a deal. Right? When, when people give you essentially money to, to place ads, um, the I.O. And uh, I met this guy, and I explained to him why he should be advertising on my cable channel, which was a small cable channel, targeted to women, their Procter & Gamble, all the products target women at the time, uh, I thought. Uh, and he proceeds to rip every single argument that I had given one by one. All the reasons, all the technical reasons why all the arguments that I gave him made no sense to him as an advertiser Uh, And they didn't explain why he should give me any money. I was crushed by that meeting, but incredibly motivated because I had, in in advertising school, I had studied media uh, planning and buying. I had studied the basics of media math and and, um, and media mix. Uh, So I took that as a challenge, as a way to, A, never go into a meeting without doing some research into what makes the other person move. Right? What? How do they estimate? If you can't find out ahead of time, make sure that you learn before you start blurting out um, what your sales bill is and find out what what the, the other person really is looking for. Because to do otherwise would be like being a lawyer arguing a case without knowing the law. It just it, it make no so sense. Um, and um, and that that changed me. I think that I took that that. Um, preposition to put myself in the shoes of the other person
0: to my career uh, since. Obviously, when you started at the small company, were you still living at home? Did you have roommates? What kind of apartment did you have? What was your life like in the beginning? A lot of people listening, they're starting out. Sometimes you think to yourself, God, I have roommates. And then I just read the other day that Rob Gronkowski from the Patriots has two roommates. And I'm right. thinking to myself, the best tight end in football, and he's got roommates. So That's, you know, I, I did have roommates when,
1: when I was um, eight, 18 through 21. Then I uh, moved in with my partner at the time. And since then, I live with uh, either him or, or another partner. I was always in back-to-back relationships. Um, and, um, but I... Um, Yes, I was always very determined to be independent. Uh, I, the minute I could leave uh, home,
0: um, I I did it. And so, when was the first time where you realized, I'm not looking back, I'm not doing anything else, I'm great at this? Like a moment where it just a light bulb went off and it was like, God, I can do this. It's- Hard to answer because anybody, I
1: mean, I I, I think you, you met enough people to know that anybody who, no matter how far along ahead they get, they're always afraid that they're going to be found out that they're not as good as they think they are. This is this fear, irrational fear that we all have the, The what if people find out that I'm not as good? What if people find out that I'm not, you know, um, and, and I've talked to so many people to know that everybody has it. Um there's, I think the, inf- the other inflection point I can speak to in my, in my career is when um, in I'm in Miami, it's 2000, so, or 1999, I lived there for now two years doing sales for mm-hmm. Fox, and I know that I don't want to do sales for my whole life. And I know that it's particularly difficult for people who start in sales to be perceived as Anything else by the general managers, right? It's, it's just so powerful, and the other thing is that you make so much money that typically you need to take a pay cut in order to go to another job. And I want to have a P&L job, a profit and loss, you know, responsibility where you're manager of uh, of a division. So I went to business school, uh, which I hadn't had a chance to do in Argentina. You
0: went to business school simultaneously while you are in the job. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I, I took the executive
1: MBA program at University of Miami uh, on Saturdays, and, uh, and it was a great experience because it, not only I learned a lot, and also opened me up to uh, interact with people th- well, of my age who were like-minded, all ages, actually. Um, and seven months later, the general manager of the Fox, Latin American Channel, Marianne Helfer, who was herself, an ABA from Harvard, not UM. And uh, she noticed me and she um, made me an offer to come to LA. She got promoted herself and uh, asked me to come in and take her old job. And that was 2000. That was my first PNL job in the US. I was a division that was making $35 million in revenue at the time.
0: But you decided to make the jump to the different Coast. area of the business.
1: Well, to a broader area, right? Because I was doing sales and
0: now I had a general manager job. Did you have to take a pay cut to take that job?
1: Net-net, it was about the same because I went to the the, um, the West Coast, to California, and the increase was wiped out by taxes,
0: but it, was, it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't hurting. I just had lunch at the Blue Plate Oysterette. Mm-hmm. Lunch for three people was like... You leave a nice tip. And the waiter, they walk out with $40. The restaurant, Mm when you look at what their expenses are, it could be argued sometimes that the server makes close to the amount of money and profit that the Mm -hmm. restaurant makes, except the server doesn't serve every single table. So in sales, a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't understand the workings of your kind of sales. And mm-hmm. I think it's important, maybe you don't want to tell our audience where the bodies are buried, but when you're starting an entry-level sales job, selling time for a network or a, a radio podcast place company. or a podcast company, you start at a certain percentage, unless you're an 800-pound gorilla that's brought in from the outside. Right. So... If you could oblige me, you might not want to. What would an entry-level person expect to get of the percentage of the buy? And what would the monster of the midway, who comes in from some company, this guy was the best at that company, and we're bringing him in here? What would that person percentage of the ad buy be?
1: Uh, it's um, it's, it's the same for all of our salespeople. I mean, we we pay a single-digit percentage of sales. Um, as a commission and, and there are different ways of doing it. There are some companies that do um, do a bonus as opposed to a commission. We pay a straight commission because we're a young company and we believe that compensation should feel should be linear, right? People should be incentivized to feel that if they make more money for the company, then there's no limit to how much money they make. So, I know that, that at some point that that, that logic Um, starts to hit a limit uh, when you end up their companies where sometimes the salesperson ends up making more money than their boss, than the the head of sales.
0: I've seen these things happen where Mm -hmm. somebody comes in and, for some reason, they have no other skill set. Socially, they could be one half step behind the rest of the world. But when it comes to selling, they're amazing, and they do end up making more than the boss makes. I'm sure that you've been in those situations before. Mm, I have. How, as a company, do you handle that? Uh,
1: it's it's just understood and accepted that salespeople are well compensated because they're the ones going and convincing the clients to um, make to bring us the revenue that we rely on. And I have been at that that situation in pretty much every company and. I think everybody deals with it the same way. When there's the, uh, the the danger that happens is sometimes when you end up in a situation where one salesperson gets a list that by itself and not because of the work that they did, because they inherited the list, or because the, that agency happens to be well run, that they end up, um, they, they're still on another person who doesn't feel that they were handed the best list. Uh, so that's when you get a little bit of um, you, you, if you're not careful, you can breed resentment between uh, salespeople, but that's that's just part of managing. There's no different from the creative community, right? I mean, how do you feel when people are reading that Ryan Murphy's getting $300 million from Netflix uh, today, right? And, and that's an enormous amount of money, more than probably the people that are giving him that paycheck.
0: When I see those things happening, Mm -hmm. I think to myself, there's always a reason why most of those things happen. Yes, there's things that happen in our lives that don't make sense, like in the comedy business. Mm -hmm. Tony Rock doesn't have an hour special. The guys hosted Def Jam Showtime at the Apollo. Right. He's been on living biblically. His brother is Chris Rock. There's no rhyme or reason. Right. There's specials that literally I don't even know if they would be able to go on an open mic night sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there are injustices. But for the most part the world speaks and they tell you if your content is something that's valuable. Are not valuable, and that makes people want to spend for it. And competition, true, and it all depends that
1: uh, there's a lot of timing, and sometimes luck has to play into the timing. But how many people are willing to pay more for whatever you're selling at the time that you're ready to sell it?
0: And sometimes you have to overpay to get what you want, like mm-hmm. when Fox Network got football, right? I think it could be agreed by everybody that at the time they overpaid for football. Mm -hmm. They overpaid for the announcers. I think each announcer made an average of six to eight million dollars a year. They weren't making that a year in the other places they were at. Right. But they had to go in and they knew it would drive business to their other their other show was what right. you did.
1: Right, and the, the talent also has to bear that in mind depending on who they're taking the money from because you remember when Al Jazeera um, a couple of years ago went very aggressive and paid huge checks to steal talent away from CNN and all the other places. I mean, they had no choice than, but, but to pay um, that much money to get people to jump. And the people that jumped, they knew that they were taking the risk of something that ultimately
0: happened. There's some things that, again, I never understand. So we're here at Wondery. We're in this beautiful, beautiful building that's being renovated right now on sunset, right across from Soho House and BOA. And they're renovating the lobby, renovating the office is beautiful. You go to the CNN building, and you walk in the lobby, and you're like, wait, didn't I see those chairs in Ikea with the rug? I mean— This is CNN. This is beyond the gold standard of news. And this is their building. And it's literally like a Holiday Inn compared to a Four Seasons. And obviously, they don't care. Mm. It doesn't matter to them. But I can't believe this is the image that you get when you walk in the CNN building. Are you cognizant of image and perception or does it mean – relatively little like for cnn uh, i it, it
1: depends actually i i cognizant of of being mindful of the things that you can control um but i'm also cognizant that we are startup we shouldn't be overspending in furniture and um, because when talent comes in and we tell them that the podcast industry is small i can be telling them that and then uh they they feel that we are
0: wasting the money that should be paid to them. So, there's a careful line. I have such a great feeling about this company, and I think it's important for our audience, who are probably in the process of being entrepreneurial, what it takes from the moment you have the idea in your head to taking that first step where you have your first show that goes up. So, if you'll oblige the audience Mm -hmm for a little while tell us what the first ideas were in your head a little drawing how this company started right. and the first show that you decided to launch with and why and i'll and, tell you the ones that we got wrong
1: too because yeah. the, we, we made a lot of mistakes along the way and it costs anybody who's listened to this and wants to create a company the advice that i got applies to everybody whatever however much money you think that you'll need double it it's similar to a construction or renovation project, (laughs) double the time, double the money, (laughs) because it's always that way. Um, I I could point to, there was one time I was flying back listening to Serial, the podcast, because everybody had talked to me about Serial in a way that nobody else had done. And I find myself binge listening to four episodes in a row.
0: And this was the podcast that was unique in a way, because it was I don't want to say it was like the general hospital philosophy of soap operas, because it's not a soap opera, but it's this thing that seems to continue and keep going, whereas most podcasts were just, you hear somebody talking with somebody else, and then it's over, and then there's another thing.
1: Yeah, and it was was unique and so different, so I, I kept trying to decode uh, what was so different about it. and then. It hit me, serial, the name serial, the serialization. Let's take a step back. We want to talk about immersive nature, right? What what immersive storytelling is, but serialization. If you think about television in the 90s, that was the time of procedurals and sitcoms. Why? Because people were watching live. They weren't DVRs. People were watching an episode of uh, Friends on a Thursday night, and if they missed a prior episode, it didn't matter. So programmers, people who were on those seats, would program close-ended sitcoms and procedurals. In 2000, TiVo gets invented, and what happens next? The Sopranos and, um, and The Wire and Six Feet Under and then The Shield and Breaking Bad. So that's, we see, we can tie the age of serialized character-driven dramas to the start of people watching television on their time, people having the ability to record and watch whenever they want and eventually to binge. If you look at radio, now going back to podcasting, For the last 70 years, there was no way that people could listen to a show in a serialized way from beginning to end in a sequence. So those shows weren't being made. There wasn't a place for serial back in uh, 2000. Uh, Podcasting is like TiVo, has the effect that TiVo has, or or DVRs, or binging on the audio storytelling, on the active listening, as I call it, uh, industry. So my, my theory was that because of podcasting, there will be a new wave in the kind of serialized active listening stories that would be created that weren't being created. serial was the first one. there were certainly others startup. Um but I, I believe that there will be, and there still are a lot more to come. So, um, I first thought that audio dramas were going to be what would make us distinct from others, but, We eventually found that people were more interested in real stories told in that immersive, serialized way. Obviously, serial was so well done. It had taken three years to make it. It came from the most talented audio storytelling team in the United States and one of the most in the world. There was no way that I had any expectation that we would replicate that, right? Because it was also legit journalistic enterprise and it was really incredibly good reporting with with good storytelling but what we did have um is because we're based in the west coast i come from the hollywood side my chief content officer my prior head of content jeffrey glaser we all came from the television um, or or movie worlds we are more um we we like um storytelling we like cliffhangers we like um, um character development we like the we we like to edit stories in a way that we're not asking of a certain story what's the news angle we're asking what is the story and uh when we create something like business wars a show that you helped us uh, promote to your listeners thank you for that love it uh episode you know series one is about netflix against um blockbuster and then hbo which is uh editing uh series two which premieres in a
0: couple of weeks nike versus adidas and something that he's not going to say it's one of several shows that he's launched that just goes straight to number one. It's unbelievable, the success, what's been happening. That and Dirty John are two of
1: the shows that people have been, and America's shows, that, that people have mostly, um, have, that we have the most um, the most comments on, the most uh, reviews. But the, the most people that out of nowhere, I hadn't heard from them in years, and they send me an email saying Hernan, you know, remember I'm a professor at University of Oregon. I'm going to assign this to my students. So when you listen to uh, um, Business Wars, you get immersed into the story. We create scenes. We essentially, we set up the scene where Carl Icahn had taken over um, a a big stake in Blockbuster and he wanted to fire John Antioco, the CEO, but John Antioco had um, $54 million golden parachute. And Carl Icahn, given that he was obviously an investor, he didn't want to pay that much money. So he then starts a psychological warfare campaign, warfare campaign, to determine to get Antioch to resign. Because if he resigned, there'll be no payout. And for years, he would do little things like calling him at 6 p.m. for a long winded, discussion about business, <laughs> making sure that the guy would say, yeah, because Arkan didn't care. And he, be, um, obviously, Antioch was in Dallas. He wanted to get home, and he got increasingly more frustrated. He would accuse him of liking tequila too much. And uh, and there was a, a, a point at which he actually went on television saying that his golden parachute was unconscionable and uh, an egregious uh, clause, and this is what's a problem in America and got Antiocho to say uncle, and and says you negotiate now. Um, but and but then then we tell the story about how that had an impact on Blockbuster, eventually accelerating Blockbuster's demise, which some people say could have been avoided. So the first show you launch would you say it went the way you thought it would go? No, this first show we launched was found. It was a beautiful show. It still is a beautiful show. Um, and and it, it is very much in the style, uh, David Rothbard, the great old found, um, worked for This American Life, and this was a, This American Life style of um, of, of show. It was, um, the, the premise is, he's been collecting lost and found notes for 15 years, and through those notes, he takes a peek into the lives of strangers. It's it's and some, of the most beautiful episodes ever made were done by found a found baby, for instance, about a baby found in the New York subway, um, uh, and 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 the story what that happened to him, the baby and his parents. Remember the Peter Chernin speech.
0: Right. Hey, I do a movie. One does well. The other one does well. Do a television exactly. show. One does well. One does And you knew in your mind that he was out, and he wanted to be an entrepreneur. But what he found out as being an entrepreneur is one of his television shows got on the air, one didn't. One got on and failed, one succeeded. One movie did well, three didn't. So now you're an entrepreneur, you're doing the Wondery thing. Your first show, Mm -hmm. great, extraordinary. Nobody's gonna listen to it and say, that's bad, it just has a niche that people aren't listening to as much. How many shows did you launch before you had that
1: one? It was two shows, so the next show we launched called Secret Crimes and Audio Tape, which was fun. One of the most fun shows we ever made, it was an audio drama told week by week. And, and it, it had an audience, it's just the audience wasn't big enough to justify what we were spending on it. But it's one of the shows that I'm the most proud of to this day. The third show was a hit, it's called Hollywood and Crime, it was about the Black Dahlia, Case, and then we created the next season about Young Charlie, uh, Young Charles Manson. That was our first number one on Apple Podcasts. And uh, since we've had six um, number one shows, and so I'll always be very fond of that day in January 5th, I think, of 2017, that we got to number one. That was a great
0: feeling. Books get made into movies and television Mm -hmm. shows. Right. Television shows get made into movies. Movies get made into television shows. When you were on that plane or when you heard the churning speech and you went back, was your vision with this company to eventually figure out a way to take – these serialized contents Mm -hmm. and turn them into television shows or movies from the get go from it's one of the filters
1: that we use when somebody pitches a story to us is can we have the television rights because i can't tell you how many times we get people and say we have this great show that hasn't been made could you please make a podcast about it and launch it and get it to number one so we can hold on to the television rights and sell it without you and our answer is no sorry We, we don't do that we we, we only get involved in stories where we can control, if it, they're being financed by, by us or co-financed by us, we only get involved in stories where we can turn them into television. We're not a production company. We, we want to have participate in the television or movie adaptation for sure.
0: Has there ever been a podcast in the history of the world that has been turned into a successful television show or
1: movie? I depends on your definition of success um, lore was turning to a really um, well done and uh, and popular from the data that uh, that I, I I have heard about uh, miniseries um, for uh, amazon um, and we are ourselves in various stages of development of, of many uh, shows um, to be turning to podcasts but we i haven't seen a major hit Um, something that was serial, for instance, was option and hasn't, hasn't been made yet. Um, but there, there are enough, you know, HBO just order specials about two of Queens and, um, parts of America. So I think we're going to see that, um, yeah, Gimlet obviously got homecoming order as a, um, series at Amazon. So I think we're going to see that this year.
0: Do you know you never know what the next trend is? You never know what's going to happen. You see how podcasting has taken off and when there wasn't any podcast 10 years ago probably. You're a visionary. What do you see as the next form of entertainment that nobody can see coming?
1: I don't want to uh, speculate about it because I I think uh, podcasts are just starting and podcasts are the next form of entertainment. Um, I'm not a big gamer, so I not I don't I can pre- um, hope to predict how people are going to use virtual reality or augmented reality. I think somebody will find a way to turn augmented reality into entertainment. I'm a huge believer that smart speakers will change our relationship with sound. Uh, there's now 16% of the homes in the U.S. have a smart speaker, and they watching less television, and they're listening to more audio as a result, including podcasts.
0: Before I get to my final questions, tell our audience something that you don't want them to know about Wondery. That I don't want them to know? Oh, that's a—what
1: uh, do I not want them to know? Um, I think that if if I don't want them to know, I wouldn't say it. Um I, I think our, our I mean what I do want to tell our audience um is that we we're just getting started. Uh we, we we have developed this um sound I call the wondering sound of immersive storytelling um that from inside the exorcist and inside psycho to Hollywood and crime to Sword and Scale, a partner show that that we represent to American History Tellers to Business Wars. What all these shows have in common is that they make you feel that you're in the middle of the action as it's happening. And this train of Wondery Sound is just getting started. We have so many more shows ahead of us, and I want them to know that we would like them to listen. we like them to reach out to us. we like them to get engaged with the Wondery brand.
0: All your stories are drowning in the ocean. You can only save your greatest holy shit moment story for our audience. What is it? Uh, Dirty John,
1: for sure. I mean, the Dirty John was a holy shit story, if there is one. And if you people haven't listened to it, they must because we knew that the ending was so surprising and satisfying that everybody who got to the end would say, you got to listen to this show. But we couldn't tell people that in, in advance, listen to the third John because the end is bonkers. So we had to rope them in, uh, getting them to feel that this was a very interesting psychological thriller, mid-soap opera, um, and, um, and, 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 and people really responded to it
0: from, from all, all over the world. Fantastic. Your proudest moment in show business.
1: I want to say it is Dirty John. I I, I think it is Dirty John, um, because it was um, a show that hit the zeitgeist. A show that people, from the New Yorker to the New York Times to the Guardian to USA Today, the, they all wrote about it. And and now there was a before and after Dirty John for us. Obviously, we did in partnership with the LA, LA Times, working with Chris Gofford, the journalist who who found the story and who wrote and hosted the podcast, was one of the. Best experiences I ever had, and um, and now when we go out and tell people, who are the network that made
0: Dirty John. They obviously with the other times they they know who we are. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level of business.
1: I don't know whether this was my. Biggest, but that meeting that I uh, mentioned uh, with the Procter Gamble client was a great example, of how I got set up. Um, I, 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 I got um, essentially that that, that meeting uh, changed the way I looked at every meeting after that from that moment
0: on. Isn't it funny how the most bone crushing things are the things that drive you to the next level. It's just so incredible. That's one of the things that I worry about so much with my family and my kids. When I interviewed Rita Rudner, I'll never forget what she said. She said, look, you know where we live, Barry? I live on this mansion on -hmm. the cliff, and I have a daughter. She wants to be in music, and can get her own studio in the house. I can produce the CDs. I can have somebody help her write the songs. Mm she said, when I sat down with her, I said, there's only one thing I can't give you. And her daughter said, well, what's that, Mom? And she said, adversity. It's powerful. And what that guy did in that meeting at Procter & Gamble was he gave you the adversity you needed to drive you forward. What advice do you have for anybody who wants to start a podcast and wants to have the kind of success that some of the shows and personalities on your platform here are having. Do you have some thoughts as to the things to do that will help them get to the next
1: level? Just know that it takes a lot of work. It takes a a huge amount of work to do a successful podcast. You know this, um, but most people think it's just getting behind a microphone and talking and shooting, you know. Uh, questions and answers, and and, and and it's so much more than that. I, I, I always uh, ask people to, Tim Ferriss has a great blog uh, about how to turn a, a podcast into
0: a success, so I, I always send people to that that blog. To Tim Ferriss? Tim Ferriss, yeah. Awesome. Last question, what advice do you have for the young person who's grown up in another country or wherever he is, in a small town? and? that doesn't really have the resources of what he wants to do. He has trials and tribulations. He's maybe having trouble in high school. Maybe he's trying to find himself and who he is as a person. And to figure out a way to get through all the minutia Mm -hmm. and work through it and get to have the kind of career and success that you've had
1: you can, the advice I will give them is you can never have a successful career on your own. Uh, Your success, you only have two hands and the day only has 24 hours. So your success will depend on the quality of the relationships that you have, the people that you have around you, your uh, network of mentors, the people that eventually when you become a boss, the people that you choose to be on your team. So no matter what you do, make sure that you pick
0: your people wisely that'll be my biggest advice I'm very emotional because this is probably one of the most impactful and informative and amazing and inspirational podcasts that I've ever done just to sit across from the man who I sat in the room and wanted the little engine that could to come onto your team with all these behemoths and I look up at all these podcasts and I think to myself It's such a long road, but it's so wonderful when you walk into a place and somebody believes in you as much as you believe in yourself. And that's what you brought to me, and that's what I hope the audience gets from you, because you're a really extraordinary person. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I have to say, I
1: could feel from listening to your show how you have this gift uh, to make people open up. But it was only in this interview that I really saw it in person and I experienced it. And it's really powerful. So I really, really appreciate it. And I really enjoy this, this conversation. We, I would love to do a Part B anytime. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, a review on the iTunes comment review section. And one of these people will be a lucky winner and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on C-A-N-M-E. March 26, 2018, I imagine that means Californian Maine. Maybe Bob Marley is writing a review. Great comedian. The heading reads Barry, five stars, and the review says this. Barry's voice is like a Jewish Bob Ross. <laughs> it gently rocks me like a new mother would rock her baby. Great guests and great stories from a comedy innovator. Thanks so much, Californian Maine. I really appreciate it. You are a winner. Lastly, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Aquatrue. Again, go to industrystandardwater.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine. And I killed JFK, the documentary in the interviews about the only man in history to admit to killing JFK. The documentary's incredible. You love it. The interviews are insane with the last remaining living experts. Check it out ikilledjfk.com. And the air doctor removing dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and everything bad in your home air. And you can save $300 right now. Go to airdoctorpro.com, enter the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com. Enter the promo code Barry and start breathing in clean and healthy air today. And lastly, thanks to our partners at Wondery. They are amazing. They asked me if I could request that you take a little bit of your time and do a short, short survey. Just go to Wondery.com slash survey. It only takes a few minutes of your time. You can do it straight from your smartphone, and it would really help us out at the show and at Wondery. That's Wondery.com slash survey. just takes a couple of minutes, and I really appreciate it. Thanks. They have out to game. It's never quite
1: over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your
0: own grave Down in the valley A fortune